Hi everyone, welcome to the Restoring Rapport podcast. My name is Seth Hensley and this is a show dedicated to young believers pursuing the goal of healthy marriage and family. You know, we live in a world where getting married and starting a family is far too often postponed for longer than God designed and pushed to the back burner in favor of less important things. But the good news is that it doesn't have to stay this way. As young believers, we have the choice to prioritize what matters most in our lives every day and to live face to face with God and others. Every Wednesday on this show, I'll be sharing research, conducting interviews, and reviewing articles on the importance of marriage and family for society. I'll also be releasing exclusive content such as spoken word poetry, allegorical short stories, and bonus episodes every Sunday for subscribers. Friends, God did not set us up to live life alone. The truth of the matter is that every minute of your adult life that you wait to marry is a minute of your life that you're not spending with your life partner. While some might be content to live with the consequences of this arrangement, I would argue that those who wish to spend as much of their life as possible with their mate are perfectly within reason and soundness of value to do so. It is my deepest hope that this podcast inspires Generation Z to pursue marriage, become the best spouses and parents the world has ever seen, serve with furious intentionality, love well, and discover the joy of hanging the moon for another. To access my sources, subscribe to the show, or get your copy of my latest book, visit anchor.fm slash seth hensley or check out the show notes of each episode. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 53 of the Restoring Rapport podcast. Super excited for the content we've got planned out for you guys today. As always, this is a show about keeping relationships central in a world of many distractions and prioritizing marriage and family therapy marriage and family as supreme values in your life. That is what God designed us to do, and that is the goal of this show, keeping that as a central goal for this young generation, Generation Z, that's going to grow up and get married pretty soon, guys. Uh, It's our turn coming up, so we need to be ready. We need to be prioritizing what we should prioritize, and it's actually really exciting. So today, we've been working on this show. We've actually been working our way through an article by David Brooks entitled, The Nuclear Family Was a Mistake. This is the third episode that we've done on this article. So far, I've absolutely loved his diagnosis. This article seems to be, so far, uh, not providing solutions to the family messes we see in the world today, but more like diagnosing what is actually going on, and even kind of dipping into how we ended up here. Uh, the decisions that we've made that have led us to this point. So it's a great article, I think, to just kind of get a grasp of where we are as a culture, as a country, and also uh, kind of dive into how we ended up here. Super great article all around. I've loved lots of things he said. If you haven't heard the previous two episodes, go back and check those out. Um, they detail the beginning portion of this article. You do not want to miss it. It really won't, won't make sense if you pick up in the middle. Um, and also you're going to get even more available. One of the episodes that we're, we're alternating, as I've said before, between subscriber and free episodes. So as I go through this super, super long article, um, every other episode is going to be paid for. So if you want to hear the full article, go ahead and subscribe to the show to get access to that. Without further ado, though, let's go ahead and get into the reading that we have for you guys today. We're going to pick, pick up right where we left off last week. We all know stable and loving single-parent families, but on average, children of single parents or unmarried cohabiting parents tend to have worse health outcomes, worse mental health outcomes, less academic success, more behavioral problems, and higher truancy rates than do children living with two married biological parents. 
That's a very good point that he, again, that he pointed out here. According to work by Richard V. Reeves, a co-director of the Center on Children and Families at the Brookings Institution, if you are born into poverty and raised by your married parents, you have an 80% chance of climbing out of it. If you are born into poverty and raised by an unmarried mother, you have a 50% chance of remaining stuck. It's not just the lack of relationships that hurts children, it's the churn. According to a 2003 study that Andrew Sherlin cites, 12% of American kids had lived in at least three parental partnerships before they had turned 15. (laughs) Wow, guys. The transition moments when mom's old partner moves out or her new partner moves in are the hardest on kids, Sherlin shows. Of course it is, because kids are biologically set up to long-term bond with with their caregivers. If you have people moving in and out of their life, that's super hard on kids. Um, for example, uh, it, during my last year of college, I had a student teaching experience, um, where I was assigned to a class, actually the last two semesters, I was assigned to a class at a public school and I was given the chance to observe and, and, um, pour into and invest into children, learning how to be a teacher basically in the real classroom. Awesome. Awesome experience. Learned so much more than I learned any other time in college. Uh, could not give high, higher marks to the way that's done. Having a mentor teacher is the way to go. Uh, being in, in the actual classroom is the way to go if you're a teacher. We, t- today in this culture, on kind of a tangent here, today in this culture, we often train people outside of their field. <laughs> we train people outside of the actual place that they're being trained in. For example, if you're training to be, I don't know, a pastor, you're going to want to have a pastor mentor and you're going to want to be involved in a church. If you, if you want to be a pastor of an institutional church, if you're training to be a doctor, you're going to want to have a doctor, doctor mentor. Um, and you're going to want to be involved in an actual hospital because that's the place that you're actually going to end up working. Uh, you all, if you're going to want, if you want to be a social media influencer or a podcaster or an author, you're going to want to have an, a mentor who is successful in all those areas that you can learn from. And you're going to want to be in an environment where you're actually going to be doing your work. That's how you, that's how you learn. When we teach, when we sit people in a classroom full of 30 other kids and we lecture to them for an hour in a, in a, in a social and not a social, in a college institution, um, we're not really helping them grow in their, we're not really helping them learn about their field. That we're just kind of, there are good things about, you know, there are things I learned in college that were good for me, but most of the time it was a royal waste. Uh, in the sense that it wasn't really preparing me for my classroom. So we really need to get back to uh, training people in their actual workplace. But back to my original point, I was in a, that children really need present and present caregivers that stick around for the long haul instead of moving in and out. I had the opportunity to work with kids in two different semesters um, through a student teaching experience. And it was super awesome for me, had great, learned so much about teaching children, but it was really hard for them at the end of the semester when I left. And I came to the realization that that's going to be one of my least favorite parts, parts of my teaching experience in the future is because most schools around where I live don't do looping. Uh, the teacher doesn't stay with the same class throughout the years because most schools around here don't do that. Every year, every school year, I'm just going to have to say goodbye to my kids and they're going to have to say goodbye to move me and move on to another class. And that I, I would say that has some pretty, pretty hard consequences on kids. Um, it, it's just emotionally hard, number one, but also by that point, the teacher has learned how the students learn. Uh, they're able to best provide what the students need to succeed. And it really, it's just all around better because there's that relationship that's long term. Um, 
when, when there's a long-term relationship, it's better than when there's a short-term relationship, particularly with uh, adults and children. So it just doesn't shock me at all here that he's saying that, you know, these parental partnerships that 12% of American kids uh, have seen in the last, before they even turned 15, uh, there's been at least three p- parents that they've had uh, moving in and out of their life, at least three parental partnerships. So that means like single mom has had like three boyfriends. Uh, coming and going before they even turn 15, these kids. Man, that's just so sad to me, especially because um, just think of how that's going to shape their perception of adults. Uh, they're going to begin to believe that men, men perhaps, or maybe even adults in general, don't stay, stay around for more than five years. They're going to kind of learn that uh, adults, adult presence is temporary and uh, fleeting and that it's not something that you can rely on, particularly for long periods of time. So I think that it's just pretty, it's something really important for us to know that, uh, that these, these short-term parenting stretches are really hard on kids in particular. Let's continue with the article here. While children are the vulnerable group most obviously affected by recent changes in family structure, they are not the only one. Consider single men. Extended families provided men with the fortifying influences of male bonding and female companionship. Today, many American males spend their first 20, spend the first 20 years of their life without a father and the next 15 without a spouse. Kay Heimowitz of the Manhattan Institute has spent a good chunk of her career examining the wreckage caused by the decline of the American family, and cites evidence showing that in the absence of the connection and meaning that family provides, unmarried men are less healthy, alcohol and drug abuse are common, earn less, and die sooner than married men. Wow. Let's go ahead and take a break there for just a second. That last paragraph was absolutely, I'd actually cited that as a source for my second book. For those of you who are interested in getting my second book, you can do do so through Amazon by searching my name or the title, which is Deepen the Dance of Dependence, Prioritizing Relationship Amidst Gen Z Individualism. Kind of a mouthful, I know. So the easiest way to do it would probably be (laughs) if you you want to get that book is just by clicking the link in the show notes of every podcast episode that you listen to. But anyway, back to this article here. K. Heimwitz has source uh, has cited evidence showing that in the absence of the connection and meaning that family provides, in the absence of family, in the absence of marriage, unmarried men are less healthy, alcohol and drug abuse are common, earn less and die sooner than married men. Guys, that is that is a profound realization when you, when you really allow that to sink in that if you are a man the odds are you're going to live a healthier life married than you will unmarried um you men are not set up to do life alone in particular guys we ha- we are we are less reliant uh, we are not the odds that we're going to be chemically dependent on drugs and alcohol go down when we get married uh the odds that we're going to earn more go up when we get married and the odds that we're going to die pretty early in life go down. Guys, there are lots of benefits for guys. Um, that's just a few of the ones she cited there. I would highly recommend that. Again, if you're interested in checking out the research done by Kay Heimowitz here, the article, the link to this article is going to be in the show notes if you're interested in reading it for yourself and checking out the, the uh, sources for yourself. So I would just highly encourage you to check that out. Um, one of my favorite podcast episodes of all time, they actually reviewed this article, The the Nuclear Family Was a Mistake. And they basically said that the re- one of, perhaps one reason for this, that, that men are healthier in the context of marriage when they choose marriage, is because men are really designed, you know, physiologically, biologically, uh, mentally to zone in on something and like devote our entire selves to that thing. 
Uh, we're not very good at multitasking. We're not very good at peripheral, you know, focus. We're really good at zoning in. And uh, I don't know what another word, word would be like hyper-focusing, obsessing, um, just becoming super fixated. Fixated is a good word. So like because of that, when we fixate on the correct things, then it becomes beneficial for us. Whereas when we fixate on the the wrong thing, when we have the wrong target, the wrong aim, we end up in a lot more, we a lot more of a pickle, really, uh, which is what this article is saying here. And this article is actually suggesting, and I would totally agree with this, that marriage is the correct aim. It's the correct thing to fixate on. It's the correct thing to pursue for guys in particular. Hi, guys. I want to take a quick break and tell you about an opportunity that you guys have as listeners to become subscribers of this podcast. Now, in order to become a sub, all you have to do is follow the subscribe link in the show notes found in the description of each episode. And when you subscribe, you'll get access to exclusive material, including additional interviews, all of my spoken word poetry pieces, all of my dramatized allegorical short stories, and even more of my article readings. Okay, so lots of content will be available to you that won't be available to anyone else. Subscribing to the show only costs five dollars a month, which is less than most people spend on their lunch at work every day. Okay, so you won't even notice it disappearing from your bank account. If you enjoy listening to the show and you're looking for an opportunity to financially support the content you care about, this is your chance. Okay, follow the link in the show notes to become a sub. Thank you so much for choosing this show to listen. Listen to and now, without further ado, let's get back to the episode. Uh, which is just a super good point. Let's continue with what he has to say here. The next heading is the period when the nuclear family flourished was not normal. It was a freakish historical moment where all of society conspired to obscure where all of society conspired to obscure its essential fragility. For women, the nuclear family structure imposes different pressures. Though women have been have benefited greatly from the loosening of traditional family structures, they have more freedom to choose the lives they want. Many mothers who decide to raise their young children without extended family thereby find that they have chosen a lifestyle that is brutally hard and isolating. The situation is exacerbated by the fact that women still significantly spend significantly more time on housework and childcare than men do, according to recent data. Thus, the reality we see around us, stressed, tired mothers trying to balance work and parenting and having to reschedule work when family life gets messy. Hmm. Without, well, again, the problem there, I would say, is that the fact that they're trying to do it solo and the men have kind of withdrawn and left, uh, that's the real problem. If the man would stick around, all of these responsibilities they're talking about, about would be, uh, born by two people. And that's just in the nuclear family. If you have a multi-generational extended family, then the the pressures, the social pressures, the financial, uh, physical, mental pressures would be sh- diversified and allocated amongst, you know, 18 adults. So, I mean, th- he's arguing here, I think, well, at least I think he's going to go in the direction of saying that uh, the nuclear families are just much more fragile and le- much less strong than the, the interconnected um families and dynasties of the past. We'll see what he actually ends up saying, though. Let's continue. Without extended families, older Americans have also suffered. So he's going to talk about old people now. According to the AARP, 35% of Americans over 45 say they are chronically lonely. Many older people are now elder orphans with no close relatives or friends to take care of them. That's definitely true. Very, very sad as well. Um, Thus, you have people even today, which is really sad, sometimes you'll have kids putting their parents um, in nursing homes, you know, either out of uh, financial, because the, in other words, instead of taking care of our parents, and I know I might be pushing some buttons here and and 
being a little pointed, but instead of taking our parents, we would rather pay for someone else to do it. And, um, often, oftentimes that's just sad on so many levels. And I love people who have gone into, uh, particularly, you know, homes for older people and worked. Those people have very, very kind hearts, but I'm talking about the children who, uh, if you don't have the means to take care of your parent, I, I, I mean, I would allow you some grace there and understand there, but I would really say guys, as children, it's our responsibility to, uh, take care of our parents. That's a, it, it kind of, it's kind of like a life arc. It starts on one end. They grow up taking care of you. You basically rely on them f- to meet all your needs and they slowly provide less and less and less until you're a self-sufficient adult. And then, you, um, as your, as your life starts to get older, the idea is that you, by that point, you would have children who would begin to take care of you, just like your parents took care of you. Uh, so it's kind of like we start out being super dependent in our life and we end our life being super dependent. We're most independent, you know, in the middle, like the 40 or 50 range. <laughs> and then around there, after that, we become more and more dependent again. And what's sad is when people have either A, not chosen to have children, or B, they don't have children who are willing to take care of them in their old age. That's very, very sad. Both of those those options, you do not want to end up that way. For us, and I know as young people, as Gen Zers, as you know, 18 to 24 year olds, we are really not thinking about that yet. We're still on the, we're really still more towards the dependent stage than the, uh, than the depending on other people, st- than having other people take care of us stage. But really, the problem I think is, when we don't think about it at all, it becomes a problem. So the goal for my life, and I would say the goal for our lives should be as young believers who want to have, live a healthy life relationally, relationally when we're older, the goal for our life should be to have children who will, will take care of us and raise our children to take care of us um, instead of A, opting for no children and getting a dog, or B, uh, raising our children to fly from the nest and move across the country and never see us again. That is definitely not uh, an idea of what I would say is a healthy way to live. <clears throat> I know you don't always have a choice in that. Sometimes your kids just leave and there's nothing you can do. And I'm not even getting into that. I'm just saying, uh, ra- have children. A, make the choice to have children. And B, raise them to take care of you. That's just an awesome thing to do. Let's continue with his article. <clears throat> in 2015, the New York Times ran an article called The Lonely Death of George Bell about a familyless 72-year-old man who 72-year-old man who died alone and rotted in his queen's apartment for so long that by the time the police found him, his body was unrecognizable. See, dang, people don't even today consider that as a possibility. But here we have a man who was so isolated. George Bell, I guess, was his name. I wonder how they found that out. (laughs) I don't even know, but he was a 72-year-old man who was alone, who died alone, and just basically stayed there because he had no one to even find his body um, he was so disconnected. He had no family. It says, obviously, therefore, he had, well, probably, therefore, he had no, yeah, familyless means he didn't, e- not even talking about marriage. He probably didn't even have any kids outside of wedlock. So there's basically literally no one to take care of him. Um, and so nobody realized he was gone. And so that by the time the police found him, his body was unrecognizable. That's a really, uh, sad but potent story, guys. I mean, it's just really important that we, um, Realize that, you know, your, your car is not going to mourn you when you leave. Your, your, your dog is not going to take care of you when you get old. Um, we just really need to realize that as soon as possible. Let's continue with the article here. Finally, because groups that have endured greater levels of discrimination tend to have more fragile families, African Americans have suffered disproportionately in the area, era of de- the detached nuclear family. That's an interesting point. I would say there, though, 
uh, definitely that's that's something we need to fix for sure, especially because uh, it's we see other other skin tones, other uh, other communities have don't have that as much of that problem. So we need to definitely uh, find a, w- diagnose what's going on there. So it says African Americans have suffered disproportionately in the area in the era of the detached nuclear family. I wonder if that's honestly because of the uh, urban versus rural living. And the cost of living in a city um, versus the cost of living in rural areas. Um, because th- if you think about it, the tone of someone's skin has nothing to do with their choice to uh, live a life uh, prioritizing family. That's just a matter of free will, right? It's just now the culture comes into it. Skin tone has nothing to do with it. Culture comes into it. Uh, perhaps nuclear families aren't as popular. Um I do know that the African American communities, I think, have lower fatherhood, present father rates. Like a lot of them do not grow with uh, with present fathers, which, as we pointed out in the last episode, be, be sure to check that out, is a major problem. In fact, it, it's I think it's statistically the number one uh, predictor of child children growing up to be incarcerated, abuse drugs, shoot up schools, that kind of thing. Um, so that's definitely a problem. I would say that that's, I would say that's the number one problem that we need to work on guys, not just for the African American communities, but also for ours. Uh, I'm not African American. I'm a white guy, white dude in a rural area. And, um, if we begin to different cultures are running this experiment. So you have urban people who live in urban areas. They've run the experiment of not having fathers and you see where that got them. Um, I'm starting to see more people in rural areas become uninterested in uh, family matters, uninterested in being parents, uninterested in getting married. Uh, as we've talked about before on this show, that's becoming more popular, not just through the numbers, in, in, you know, nationally, but also just in my personal life, I've seen that. So if that's where we would like to go, you can look in other communities that have done that and you can see where you'll end up. Um, and it's not, I'm not even just specifically addressing the African-American community. I'm talking about any community that has, uh, I would say urban values. So urban values, it, I think it's a lot harder to have a family in urban areas for a number of reasons. Housing, number one, <laughs> just super expensive. Uh, but for all kinds of reason, main, all kinds of reasons, mainly housing, it's harder to have a family in the city than it is to have an, a family in the, in an rural area. So that might be something to consider here that we have um, African-Americans suffering disproportionately in the area of the detached nuclear family, according to David Brooks. Um, nearly here, here he says nearly half of black families are led by an unmarried, unmarried single women. Yeah, he's talking about the fatherhood thing uh, compared with less than one sixth of white families. Um, but he's not here. See, that theory of mine could be wrong, though, because he, he doesn't he doesn't he's not talking about urban versus rural. Um, he's just talking about black versus white. So I don't know that my theory there holds any water. It's just a theory for you guys to think about um, living in the city. At least where I'm from, there's a large number of darker darker skin tones in the city than there is in the in the country. And I don't, I'm not sure quite why that is. I don't, I don't know the historical implications of how we got to this point there. But I'm suggesting that maybe uh, black families are seeing are having a harder time in the family realm because they live in the city. Not because of their skin tone or their culture. Perhaps it's because they live in the city uh, and cities are less conducive to healthy families. That's just a theory. I actually have no idea if that's true or not. Um, but I would be curious to find out. I wonder if you guys know of any articles or anything related to that, send them to me. I'll, I'll review them in the show. Uh, we can read them together for sure. But let's go ahead and continue with this article. <clears throat> 
The high rate of black incarceration guarantees a, sh a shortage of available men to be husbands or caretakers of children. Okay. According to the census data from 2010, again, that be that might be a cultural thing, like uh, um, gangs are a lot more common in uh, urban areas, um, that kind of thing. According to census data from 2010, 25% of black women over 35 have never been married. Well, dang, there's a problem. Um, that's definitely a problem. As we've said before, guys, marriage is a, a huge benefit to men and women, particularly men, but also women. Uh, so for, to have, you know, 25% of black women over th 35 never being married, uh, that's actually, that's super sad, yes, but that's even less than the statistic we're seeing a lot pop up in today, pop up in today's culture just nationally, is that in, in this country, um, adults over 18, less than half of them are married. 49% of adults ages 18 and older uh, are married. And the other, the other over half are not. So that's definitely, I would say we're headed for a problem there. But here it's saying 25% of black women over 35 have never been married compared with 8% of white women. Wait, what? He's talking about, oh, this is from 2010. Yeah, this is from 2010. Now, as of 2017, uh, less than half of American adults are married. Wow. Which is, so we've gone even more. We've gone even more downhill in the last 10 years, which is not really surprising. Well, I guess it is surprising a little bit. It's definitely not encouraging, but let's just keep reading here. We know what to do. The good, the good news is, guys, when you're reading all the, when I'm reading you all these statistics and diagnosing all these problems, I'm not trying to, uh, pr um, foster a sense of hopelessness or a sense of despair. Uh, we can definitely improve. The point is we have to know how and we have to know what, what we need to do in order to improve. And I would say the number one thing we need to do in order to improve is start making better choices, first of all. <laughs> and one of those would be a, a huge one would be pursue, uh, restoring the, the aim of marriage to, a, to this younger generation and pursuing the goal of a healthy family. That's, that's a great thing we can do. Um, let's continue here though. Two-thirds of African-American children lived in single-parent families in 2018 compared with a quarter of white children. Black single-parent families are most concentrated in precisely, th precisely those parts of the country in which slavery was most prevalent. Research by John Iceland, a professor of sociology and demogra demography at, a, at Penn State, suggests that the difference between white and black family structure explained 30% of the affluence gap between the two groups. In 2004, the journal, journalist and urbanist J Jane Jacobs published her final book, an assessment of North American society called Dark Age Ahead. At the core of her argument was the idea that families are, quote, rigged to fail, end quote. The structures that once supported the family no longer exist, she wrote. Jacobs was too pessimistic about many things, but for millions of people, the shift from big and or extended families to detached nuclear families had it has indeed been a disaster as the social structures that support the family have decayed the debate about having it has taken on a mythical quality social conservatives insist that we bring back the nuclear family back but the conditions that made for stable nuclear families in the 1950s are never returning conservatives have nothing to say to those kids whose dad has split whose mom has had three other kids with different dads Quote, go live in a nuclear family is not really relevant advice. If only a minority of households are traditional nuclear families, that means the minor the majority are something else. Single parent, never married parents, blended families, grandparent headed families, serial partnerships, and so on. Conservative ideas have not caught up with this reality. Progressives, meanwhile, still talk like self-expressive individualists of the 1970s. People should have the freedom to pick whatever family form works for them. And of course they should, but many of the new family forms do not work well for most people. 
And while progressive elites say that all family structures are fine, their own behavior suggests that they believe otherwise. As the sociologist W. Bradford Wilcox has pointed out, highly educated progressives, progressives may talk a tolerant game on family structure when speaking about society at large, but when they have extremely ex- strict, but they have extremely strict expectations for their own families. When Wilcox asked the University of Virginia students if they thought having a child out of wedlock was wrong, 62% said it was not wrong. Dang, I would agree, disagree with you there. Uh, it's not a good way for the, the kid to grow up. Uh, and it's certainly not a good idea for you as a parent because your partner has no social and legal restrictions for just up and leaving uh, and abandoning you, um, which is just a huge, it's just not a smart way to do relationships. If you're asking me, you're setting yourself up for the possibility of not only heartbreak, but also a life of hardship. Um, it's just not a good idea. But let's continue here. When he asked the students how their own parents would feel if they themselves had a child out of wedlock, 97% said their parents would quote unquote freak out. And again, a lot of people blame that on, you know, religious or uh, traditional um, factors. But really, in reality, the parents probably just want what's best for their kids. And they know that children are not only healthier in marriage, but I mean, there are consequences for leaving in marriage. So you're more like, you're less likely to, um, basically have somebody just up and depart with no consequence. Back to David Brooks. In a recent survey by the Institute for Family Studies, college educated Californians ages 18 to 50 were less likely than those who hadn't graduated from college to say that having a baby out of wedlock is wrong. But they were more likely to say that personally they did not approve of having a baby outlies outside of wedlock. In other words, while social conservatives have a philosophy of family life they can't operationalize because it no longer is relevant, progressives have no philosophy of family life at all because they don't want to seem judgmental. Dang. I think he's really hitting the nail on the head here, guys, for both of those statements. Uh, Definitely true. The sexual revolution has come and gone, and it has left us with no governing, governing norms of family life, no guiding values, no articulating ideals. On this most central issue, our shared culture often has nothing relevant to say, and so far decades have been falling, and so far, and so for decades, things have been falling apart. Dang, guys. I think he also hit the nail on the head there with the sexual revolution impacting the norms of family life. Guys, that's definitely something that has changed the way we view things. Uh, People began to experiment, you know, during the sexual revolution, cut all the ties that pertain to sexuality and basically have no rules uh, in the game of sexual sexuality. When people didn't have such ready access to birth control and abortion, whenever they had sex, it was it was an impossibility for them not to thinking of the consequences because you know that sexual activity leader sexual intercourse leads to children that's just the natural that's just the way the world works so a long time ago people didn't have the option of of sexual experimentation without consequence they didn't have so there was a lot less um there was a lot less uh libertine freedom people running around basically doing whatever they wanted hopping from bed to bed with different partners experimenting uh, that was not a thing because there were consequences to doing that, that you couldn't you couldn't actually live with the consequences of doing that. Nobody could. Um, so I just think that there have been consequences to the a lot of the improvements that we've made. Well, what we think are improvements that we've made in recent years in regards to birth control. Um, so I'm just pointing that out for for people who might not realize that, especially us youngins. Uh, realize that we grew up in a world now where it's a lot different than it used to be. It's really, really different. Um, and not, and not all for the good, not definitely not all for the good in this area. The good news is that human beings adapt, even if politics are slow to do so. 
When one family form stops working, people cast about for something new, sometimes finding it in something very old. And then his next section is part two, redefining kinship, which we will read in the next episode of this uh, series on David Brooks' article, The Nuclear Family Was a Mistake. Super uh, good article again today. I've not changed my opinion of it. I've loved his diagnosis on so many levels, uh, particularly relating to single men uh, just dishing upon themselves a huge number of consequences that they wouldn't otherwise had have had they chosen the road of marriage. I think that's just something so important for us young guys to know, guys, is that by choosing to remain unmarried for the rest of your life, you are embracing a huge number of consequences that you wouldn't otherwise embrace. Consequences that are not good for you. They're going to make your life harder. They're going to make you a lot less healthy. They're going to make you die sooner. They're going to make you uh, more uh, vulnerable to chemical dependence on drugs and alcohol. They're going to make you more uh, vulnerable to poverty. Not poverty, but you're going to make less. Um, but ju- just so many things uh, that they make you vulnerable to. It's really important for us single guys to pursue the goal of marriage again, be willing to lock ourselves in the confines of marriage so, again, that we do not leave people um, in the lurch. Leave, we do not leave our, our wives and our, our girlfriends and our partners, our romantic partners, in the lurch with a child. And we do. it's so bad when we leave them to raise that child alone because, guys, that, that first of all, that wrecks the odds of success for that child in the future. Uh, second of all, that that really makes life so hard on the mom. It puts an unbelievable strain on her. It's so incredibly selfish for us to leave her with that. Um, and third, because it's not good for our conscience to do that at all. Nobody who's done that has their conscience is probably not in a good state. So again, I would just say it's so so important that we are willing to. And as we we saw earlier in the statistics above, the African American community is having particular problems with men leaving. Um, and and not sticking around to raise their children um, and the statistics show us what the african-american children grow up, growing up in urban areas struggle with and we do not want that guys we need to fix that problem right away right away and we do not need to adopt the idea that leaving our partner in the lurch with a child is the right thing to do it is absolutely shameful i cannot i cannot stress that enough and i know guys are scared of becoming fathers they don't want to wreck uh, their child like their father perhaps wrecked them but guys it is so important that we learn how to be good fathers and pursue the goal of fatherhood healthy fatherhood raising children in a good way because that is what sets our child up for success that is what takes the stress off of our romantic partners that is what gives us an aim Give it, giving men the aim of fatherhood again. Again, all, men are healthier when they have they have that ability, ability to fixate and focus on what matters most in life. So, guys, I'm just I just loved a lot of the things he talked about in this article. Super excited for part two. Again, that will be coming up in the next episode. So, so excited to read that for you guys. Thank you so much for listening today, and we will talk to you guys next time.